0: Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. The British Foreign Secretary, James Cleverley, has announced that he plans to go to China in 2023, although no date has yet been set. This news surprised me. I'd assumed that he would avoid a trip which could potentially stir up trouble with politicians within his own Conservative Party, as well as activists who are focused on China's human rights record. Nevertheless, Mr. Cleverley takes the view that Britain can't pull the shutters down on China. In a speech delivered at the Grand Mansion House Dinner in London, he said that the UK will engage directly with China bilaterally and multilaterally to preserve and create open, constructive and stable relations reflecting China's global importance. The Foreign secretary spoke about Taiwan, Xinjiang and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But in this podcast, I want to focus on one particular topic: Hong Kong. And I'm very pleased to welcome back an expert on that issue. He's Dr. Mark Clifford, president of the Committee for Freedom in Hong, president of the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong Foundation, and the former editor-in-chief of the South China Morning Post. Mark, welcome back to China in Context. Thank you very much, Duncan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's try to unpack what Mr. Cleverly said. He said that the United Kingdom's China strategy consists of three pillars. I'm not going to go into them all at the start, but the first one of these is to strengthen the UK's national security protections wherever Beijing's actions pose a threat to our people or our prosperity. How do you see that remark in relation to Hong Kong?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, it's welcome to hear that. Uh, I think that, uh, as the Secretary pointed out in, um, in his speech, um, uh, Britain has opened up to, to Hong Kong a lot, obviously, bringing in uh, welcoming over 100,000 uh, BNO, British National Overseas passport holders from Hong Kong. Um, but I, I think there is a realization that both at home in Britain and abroad that there are real security concerns. I would hope that the Secretary's uh, remark would would hint at a, a tougher attitude uh, towards protecting Hong Kongers and, and Chinese uh, who, have, who have immigrated to Britain uh, and who have been the subject of physical and uh, other attacks on them in, in the United Kingdom. So that's one thing. Number two, as you said, uh, I think that uh, there will continue to be uh, robust engagement uh, vis-a-vis China's continuing violations of the Sino-British Accord, an international treaty signed in 1984 that uh, uh, kind of set the guardrail, set the rules for the, um, the, the handover of Hong Kong from a British colony to Chinese sovereignty. But... I, I would like to see um, a, a more robust uh, uh, attempt to try to engage with, with the battered pattern of behavior in Hong Kong in particular. I mean, here's a place that uh, was a great global financial center in many ways on a par with London or New York that now has more than 1,400 political prisoners.
0: And we'd like to see that more forcefully articulated. Well, you used the word robust there. Actually, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says that Britain's relationship with China could be defined as robust pragmatism. But let me share another quote with you from Mr. Cleverly's speech. He said, we must engage with China where necessary and be unflinchingly realistic about its authoritarianism. Do you think those words were written with Hong Kong in mind?
1: There's a lot in this speech and, and he seems to want it both ways and seems to say that the national interest in, is above and uh, is, is above all commercial interests. So I think there is certainly concern, but I think it's it's too cautiously expressed much of the time. It's not just Hong Kong. In Xinjiang, we have the largest internment of civilians. Since the Nazi period, so I mean, I think we we need more than than just words, and I think we need to shed the illusion that somehow China is going to be the savior, uh, the economic savior of whether it's our, our country or the UK. Nobody's talking about a divorce. Nobody's talking about a complete decoupling. And I think that the the notion that uh, some people are pushing for a new Cold War is It's really a straw man. Uh, I, I think what we're talking about is deterrence to stop China's predations on the people of Hong Kong, potentially on the people of Taiwan, which is what Xi Jinping, the leader of China, says he wants. He says he wants to take over Taiwan. I think when dictators have a pattern of doing the bad things they promise they're going to do, we should take them seriously. We didn't take Putin seriously in the case of Ukraine, and I'm afraid we're not taking... Xi Jinping seriously enough in the case of Taiwan and Hong Kong of course is one step on that path to normalizing the takeover of of a free and open society.
0: Now there's another element to this issue which is uh, not entirely political but this is to do with the uh, coronation of King Charles III which is due to take place in May. It turns out that China's vice president Han Zheng Is expected to fly to London for the ceremony. What's the significance of that from Hong Kong's point of view? As far
1: as Hong Kong is concerned, it's a slap in the face. Uh, Han Zhong has been a key player in the suppression of Hong Kong's freedoms over the last few years. He was, uh, from 2018 until recently, the head of the Central Leading Group for Hong Kong and Macau Affairs. This uh, oversaw The introduction of a controversial bill to allow for extradition of Hong Kongers to the mainland, to mainland China, which led to massive unprecedented protests in 2019, which were followed by the imposition of a sweeping draconian national security law, which has seen over 1400 people behind bars as political prisoners today, has seen 10,000 plus people arrested on political charges. This is the man, this is one of the key architects behind that, who reports directly to Xi Jinping, the supreme leader in China. Inviting him to the coronation of the new king is incredibly insulting. Now, I understand that he wasn't personally invited, that Xi Jinping has nominated him as uh, Xi's uh, representative, but uh, I think it would be an insult to the British people and British values if he were allowed to attend the coronation.
0: So what do you think about Foreign Secretary Cleverly's plan to take an official trip to Beijing this year?
1: Well, it seems to be uh, the fashion. There are many people from uh, leaders from around Europe who seem to be making the pilgrimage to Beijing. Uh, Beijing wants to normalize uh, its brutal behavior and show that uh, it can separate business from incredibly repressive government. And I'm afraid that he's falling into a trap by doing that. Much will be promised, much will be said. There will be wonderful photo opportunities that certainly will be good for Xi Jinping's propaganda effort, but I'd be skeptical that there will be real
0: sustainable business advantage from this. I'd like to share my own perspective, if I may. I was in the British House of Commons on the day that Mr. Cleverly delivered his speech about China at Mansion House in the city of London. And I spoke to some MPs who might be described as China hawks. Actually, they call themselves China realists. They came from several different parties, by the way. Uh, I met a Conservative MP, a Liberal Democrat, and someone from the opposition party, the Labour Party, who sits on the shadow cabinet. They all told me, Mark, that they were frustrated with the words of Mr Cleverley's speech. Someone said rather scathingly, that it seemed to hark back to the golden era. This was the time in about 2010, 2011, when Britain seemed to be expecting a thriving relationship with China. But, of course, that was before the clampdown on the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. What's your perspective? Do you go along with those hawkish or realist MPs, as they like to be known?
1: Well, I think realist is, is the word. Um, look, no one wants a war. But I think that um, James Cleverly has posed a, a sort of false dichotomy between greater engagement with some lip service, robust, not robust, to uh, to standing up for British values, and uh, some kind of decoupling Cold War um, there's a lot of talk about the Thucydides trap, which says that uh, a rising power uh, is inevitably uh, destined to clash with with a dominant power. And uh, like um, James cleverly, I agree that war is not inevitable. Of course, none of us want that. And the question is, how do we respond? I think that deterrence, robust deterrence of the sort that uh, the United States, the United Kingdom, and other allies are building is the best way to prevent war. Simply uh, mollifying Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party, going to Beijing and making nice with trade deals. And as you say, implicitly harking back to the the so-called golden age of of the time when David Cameron was prime minister, isn't, isn't the way to secure peace. It's very interesting that uh, was, uh, Secretary Cleverly didn't mention the uh, alliance, the new military alliance between the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. That's explicitly designed to help keep the peace in the Pacific. Uh, there's work that's being done to build alliances. Um, the U.S. Is, is built and rebuilt alliances with the Philippines, uh, Korea, Japan, India. It's working throughout Southeast Asia and. I'm sorry to say. I mean, nobody wants a military buildup, but a military buildup is is better than a war. And I just worry that Secretary Cleverly's attempt to have it both ways is going to mean that just kinds of he he or British policy maybe falls right through the middle. It doesn't get the commercial benefits it wants, but it doesn't act effectively enough to keep the peace because it sends such mixed signals.
0: I think it's worth pointing out that Mr. Cleverly delivered that speech just a few days after he had a long meeting with the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. They were together in Nagano in Japan for the G7 Foreign Minister's Summit. Um, And also, another senior American politician gave a speech on China recently. That's the U.S. Secretary to the Treasury, Janet Yellen. She said that America seeks a healthy economic relationship with China, one that fosters growth and innovation in both countries. A growing China that plays by international rules is good for the United States and the world. That's uh, Janet Yellen's quote. So I'm wondering if the Americans are pressing the British government to soft pedal on China a bit and, and play down some of the differences.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, and I can't actually give you insight into the talks between, um, for example, uh, Mr. Cleverly and and US Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Um, There is, uh, I would say, disagreement, even within the executive branch in the US. Um, Yellen wants to, Secretary of uh, Treasury Yellen would like to go to China. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken's uh, trip, which had been scheduled for January, was put off indefinitely because of the spy balloon incident uh there are a lot there's a lot of disagreement within the u.s administration not just between state and treasury but also the commerce department in terms of um what's next with policy there are uh expectations that the president president biden will soon sign restrictions uh limiting U.S. Uh, investment, and particularly technology transfer into China. So I think it's a it's a great question, and the U.S.-British uh, uh, component is just part of a, a bigger rethink that we're having on this side of the Atlantic. You have a very hawkish Congress and a somewhat divided administration that, as in Britain, as in really every country, is trying to calibrate its commercial interests and the, the great importance of China and the world economy with the military threat posed by China and the the threat it poses to our values. And of course, to the the people of Hong Kong, the people of Xinjiang, the people of Tibet.
0: Well, thank you, Mark, for giving us your views on this important issue. That was Dr. Mark Clifford, former editor-in-chief of the South China Morning Post and currently chair of the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong Foundation on the line from the United States. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute and you can find out more about our courses and research on our website, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.